Slow down, flip us over, and celebrate. The Turn Turtles are here. Hello, and welcome to the Turn Turtles Board Gaming Podcast. You have reached us at episode 12. Leave your name and number after the beep. I am Matt. And we have Meej. Beep. Hi. And we got Adam. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Press hashtag to leave a callback number. Click boop. That was my name in binary. In binary. Well, if no one fact checks that, then that is. <laughs> Did just... you use ASCII to figure it out? To figure out what? What your name is in binary. Oh. Yeah, I don't know how you would figure that out. You use ASCII. E. I'll ask him, but who's key? <laughs> oh, boy. All right. <laughs> We're going to find out what that was is a slow on bird. the table. What is on the table, Adam? Oh, man. On this episode, what's on the table? We're going to be talking about... Uh, we're doing something new. We're going to do a game smash. We're going to, just for fun, we're going to take two of our games and proverbially smash them together and talk about the fun things that might come out. Uh, we have a special announcement. We have some possible future Yay. printed play plans with listeners, if you are so interested. And we have some news. News, 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 news. But first, we'll talk about our week's both of them, Adam, not just one. We have two weeks to talk about. Do you want to kick it off, Meej? What have you been up to? Oh, oh, hi. Hey. Oh, hi. Time is weird. So who knows if I've talked about this before? Oh, wibbly um, wobbly. First, yeah, it is wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Um, now I'm off track. Okay, I played Cities and Nights twice, which is the only way to play Catan. It is an expansion that is widely known to be the best because it's amazing. You should all try it. That's all I'm going to say about that for now because Matt disagrees. Um, I got two new games. So the first one was Machi Koro 2 by Maseo Suganuma. Um, really, really good. So Machi Koro 2 and Machi Koro 1 uh, is a game where there's cards on the table. Each one has a value and on your turn you're going to roll two dice if you roll the number that's on a card you activate its ability um but the fun thing is matt might have a card that activates when i roll the dice um and so you gain money you buy cards you make your tableau better um machi crow 2 i think is slightly better than the original because it's quicker um and it's more variable the end goals instead of them being the same for every player, every game, the end goal that you're trying to get to changes every game, which is really exciting. Um, maybe we'll talk that about more of that. Cool. That's the yeah, main cool. difference, the the end resolution. Uh, the speed, yeah. So basically the the end game state in the first Machi Koro is everyone has what are called six landmark buildings. So they're more expensive. Um, and once you built, build the sixth one, the game is done and you win. In this game, in Machi Koro 2... Instead, you're only going to be building three, but instead of everyone having the same, there's a deck of landmarks that you're going to be buying from. So it changes every game, um, which is 
much better because it's more interesting. Um, yeah, definitely worth checking mm. it out. Highly recommend. And it's quicker, which is really good for this game. Um, Did you say you were going to talk about it later or can I ask you a question about it now? I meant I might talk it on another episode, but sure, go ask a question. It, do you think that it is better as a Magikaro 2 or could it have been an expansion or even errata for the first one? I think it is a progressive step better than the first one. So I don't think it could be errata because you would have to add a deck of landmarks. Okay. And also there are certain other rules that change that I'm not going to get into because it's nitty gritty mechanic stuff. So I think it's okay. an improvement on the first. All it, You could consider it um, a second edition. I think the reason they didn't call it that is because the rules are more significantly changed than in a normal new edition of a game. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice. Yep. The Machikoro 2 is the true Machikoro killer? <laughs> no, I I honestly think you could play either. It depends what you're going for. I find two lighter and quicker. One is a little more gritty and attack and, and annoy each other. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the other new expansion I got, not a game, is... Uh, cats and dogs for fort so fort is a hilarious game where you are you have a deck you're it's a deck builder where all the cards are kids and these kids are trying to build the best fort on the block um and you use these kids to do different things like get toys and stuff to make your fort better but if you don't use them they won't like you and they'll run away to someone else's fort to help them um in this expansion you get pets you get cats and dogs the cats are really fun. You randomly deal three of them for the game and they'll have certain things they're attracted to. So whether it be you used all your kids on your turn or I don't know, there's no one in your lookout tower. If you fulfill those requirements, they will come to your yard and give you a little bonus um, boost. So whether that's, I don't know, something is cheaper or whatever, a little boost. But if someone else fulfills the, their specific requirement, Later on, that cat then goes to their yard. So they just keep rotating around between everyone the whole game. Um, and then the dogs. Cool. Yeah, it's really cool. The dogs are hilarious. So the dogs are extremely dogs loyal. No, the dogs are very loyal. They are cards that you add to your deck. Um, and But when you use a dog, instead of it going into your discard... Or no, sorry, 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 sorry. I am mistaken. With the dogs, you play them and they go in your discard like normal. If you don't play them, instead of them going to your front yard so that someone else can recruit them onto their team, they automatically go into the discard pile of the player on your left, which is hilarious. So they that just seem very loyal, though. They're not loyal. The rules say they're loyal. I don't know if I <laughs> agree with them. They're patently unloyal. But it's a really interesting mechanic because, yeah, they they rotate around the whole time. And it's really funny mm. when you get these dogs. Um, yeah. Does everybody get one dog to start or you get two just dogs? OK. Yeah, everyone gets two dogs. Nice. That's pretty cool. I yeah. like that. I'm very yeah, excited really to try good. it. Yep. Um, and then the only other game I think I'm going to talk about right now is Betrayal Legacy. Um, this is a legacy game that we played 
through a few years back, but we played the arcade mode last night or the other night, Saturday night. Um, the coolest thing is all the cards that we had written on, added stickers to are still in play. So it was super nostalgic to find the fudgesicle or the Dumbo <laughs> killer elephant blaster or Bob's bifocals <laughs> as items in the game that we had named with ridiculous puns like four years ago. That actually is probably the first time I've ever heard of someone go back to a legacy game yeah. and play it in an arcade mode oh, that one that they finished already. Yeah. Betrayal is, it's amazing for that. It works so yeah. well. A lot of other legacy games, if you leave it for too long, they've added too many rules or that kind right. of thing throughout the progression of the game. Like we have halfway finished. Oh man, I'm going to forget the name of it again. The Stonemire one. Charterstone. Charterstone. And to pick that one back up with all six players that we started it with and continue on would just be such a hassle because it's been so long. Yep. I can't imagine Same with trying Risk to Legacy, that. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We've only half finished that one too. And uh, I don't know. It's just so much work to get back into it for sure. Adam, you want to, or is that it, Mage? Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Oh, uh, cool. Adam, you got some things written down? So probably the highlight of my week was that the Root Marauder expansion showed up. Um, oh, I got exciting. a message from Mark because uh, it were sh- it arrived uh, at his work where he let me mail it and asked me if it was mine. And I said, yes. Uh, so um, got to crack that open this week and give it a shot. Um we, my, Jess and I played a partial game because by the time we uh, learned it and uh, we had a bit of a late start, we were only able to play about a half game. But it was um, enough so that we're both kind of set, I think, for the next one. We understand what the two races are doing. Um, the two factions are super cool. Um, anyone who is following Root probably already knows this, but it adds... Um, uh, uh, a faction called the Keepers and Iron, which is a, which are a bunch of badgers, and they are strangers to the forest, and they are um, sort of exiled knights seeking relics in the forests. So are, relics actually the, go in the forest areas. What's that? The leader called Truffle Hunter. Uh, no. Okay, that's just a subtle Narnia f- reference for all those fans out there. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, all the forest tokens, like or so all the forest areas on the map, get a relic in the forest, and uh, you're you are required to sort of poke all the way through the entire map to try to slowly obtain all of these relics. So you're not really able to just stick somewhere and not continue on or not progress into enemy territory. You're very much forced to deal with uh, places that may be under control of others. And then the other faction is a very domination-focused bunch of mobbish mouse people. And they light fires, and the fires spread all over the map. And they kind of act sort of like the um, uh, the green other mob one. What are they called? Uh, the, the, alliance, woodland alliance. the Woodland Alliance. The so instead of, yeah, instead of the sympathy... 
Um, there's fires and mob tokens can blow up, uh, like the mob kind of erupts and all the buildings, enemy buildings and people just get erased from that clearing. So uh, they're both very high reach factions, which means uh, the game can be played very much with just two players more so than you could before. Just so. just to clarify, it's rats, not mice. Rats. Yeah. They both sound very cool, and I'm excited yeah, to play that. I like the idea that the badgers are forced to keep moving through. I feel like that would help with combat when people don't want to fight each other. Yeah. Um, I played Shipwrights with Matt and Alex, but I'm going to let Matt speak to that, I think. Um, yeah, well, we then, can talk about it right now. Okay, go for it. I'm, I wasn't going to get too deep into it, but Shipwrights is um, published by Garfield Games and designed by Shem Phillips. And I think he's got a reputation for being average. If you want a really okay game, then you're looking for <laughs> one of his games. But I also think that... This one, while okay, is probably the okayest. So maybe try one of his other games, I think. does Okay, so by okayest, you mean it's right in the middle of okay? Not the top uh, of okay? Right. Okay. But it's probably not, the, not his best one. So when it came out, it was probably rated pretty poorly. And then they added an expansion, which I think most of the games come with now right adam i think that's what you said before yeah i kick-started this one and they came together okay so and the version the that i got came with that expansion the expansion definitely helps it a lot from being this random thing that you'll probably never get the cards you want to play with to being able to use some other cards for different things and we enjoyed it alex ran out of workers which was really funny so for a third of the game or so, he had no workers to work with. And he laughed about it and laughed. He was much more jovial about it than I I would have been, for sure. Right. And it was it was okay. I What's that other one you have? The so Raiders of the North Raiders. Sea is the other one. And that one's rated much better than Shipwrights. What yeah, do you mean so by it, other one? Like same designer or? Yes. Same designer, same theme. They're both Viking. Okay sort of exploration games. Um, I like that one quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Shipwrights is fun. Yeah. This was the first time I'd ever played Shipwrights. It's one of the many games that I've had on my shelf for years and have never opened. Partially because I always wanted to play Raiders of the North Sea and I was understanding that that was better, but I enjoyed it. Would you what say Raiders could just completely it replace it? Like, is um, it that similar? No. So the games are very different. Yes. The theme is very much the same. So gotcha. Raiders of the North Sea is a worker placement, and it does some really cool things with uh, accessibility of the kinds of workers. The kind of the accessibility changes as you go through the game. Um, mm-hmm. Shipwrights is very much just like a. I'm not even sure what you'd call it. It's like a hand management ship building kind of a thing. Yeah, with draft elements. Yeah, like a drafting. It's definitely, it's like 
a mishmash of four different things. So there's a bit of worker placement, and at the beginning of each round, you draft your cards. And then it's a little bit of engine building as well. So the board game geek has it as hand management, drafting, trading, speculation. So I guess the the one thing that we all unanimously praised with this game is the economy is on the back. That there's cards that determine how much the, your various um, items are worth. So your your stone, your wood, and your I don't know money or something sheep. And that economy is dictated by the back of the card that is currently the that is your deck. So mm-hmm. the the back of the deck has yeah your, your the cost of everything, and then when someone picks up a new card, a new card is shown, and now that's your economy. And that was a pretty cool way of um, having that constantly change in a way of controlling that. I think we all liked that part of it. Yeah. That was definitely very cool. So if you wanted yeah. a certain resource, you're paying the same amount, which I think was like two bucks and two workers. But then depending on which card back was showing, you got, you could get three wood for that, but you could also get maybe only one sheep. But if you wait till someone drew a card, then sheep might be the three and then stone is only one or whatever. And that was very cool. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And both of his games have this mechanic where if someone has taken an action, the next person can't take that action. Like there's a lot of um, Mm -hmm. blocking and accessibility problems with um, maybe being strategic with not letting certain people take certain actions and trying to plan what you're going to take around what other people are doing. So that's a neat thing that he does in both of those games. (laughs) Not letting Alex get any more workers was really really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) um i think i'm gonna leave it at that for now actually okay then i'll jump in and we had two surprises at the ormel household this week one was that dominion allies shipped out is super exciting so of the hundred dominion expansions allies is the newest one okay but how many are there actually oh i don't know We've said before the that's podcast, misleading. Just start at the beginning and listen to all the episodes again, and then you can figure out from last time I said it. There's probably twelve boxes. That's my guess. Somewhere in there. Forty eight. This one. What? According to Board Game Geek. Oh, it includes includes the update packs. That's dumb. And probably promo cards and that kind of it thing. It does too. include promo cards. All right. Yeah. Then I'm not going to count. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So it's published by Rio Grande. And with this one, it adds favor. So each expansion seems to add a little cardboard player mat that you put coins on and it labels them different things. In the past, they've been villagers or coffers. And this time it's favors. And favors will do something different depending on what ally card is out while you're playing. So it could be that at the beginning of your buy phase, you spend two favor to play an action card, even if you had no actions left to play. But it could also be something like every four favor that's on your mat is plus one dollar during your buy phase. So during that one, 
Hannah and I had like six extra dollars every buy phase, which was hilarious. We were buying so much with it. Does, it's been a lot of fun. Does the ally change mid game or is it always is it the same ally through the whole game? Yeah, it's the same ally through the whole game. Although that would be a really fun thing to switch out because, I mean, Donald Vaccarino, the designer, is not in my house policing me on how to play. So we sure. could always you I will draw three. You, do that. you draw three at the beginning of the game and then everybody reads them off and you put one down and then is, let's say after the first gold is bought, you switch them out. And then after the first province is bought, you switch them out again. That would be hilarious. Which reminds me... This is a total tangent, but I asked Isaac Childress a question on Board Game Geek, and he hasn't answered me yet. It's really sad. I wanted well, to bend you, the rules of Gloomhaven. Well, you can just do that. He's not in your house. I know, I know. That's one of the best parts about board gaming. Like, when you start the hobby, you're all like, gotta do everything exactly by the rules, and then as you go on, you realize that these people aren't in your house. Like, Real Grand so, doesn't have police. Can I give one example that I think is the best example of this we've ever done? Of like a house rule? Yeah, in Gloomhaven that me, you, and Hannah played with. I think it was later on, but in Gloomhaven, when you kill an enemy, it drops a coin. Mm -hmm. We, and by the rules, technically, those coins stay on the ground until a player ends their turn on the coin. But we started playing where if an enemy ended its turn on the coin, it would pick it up. And then when you kill that enemy, it would drop all the coins it had picked up. Funniest rule and best rule. It was so good. Yeah, because some of the enemies have a loot action they do as well. So yep. if you play a loot action, like no, loot really. one will get all the coins around you. So if an enemy is specifically a thief or something and he runs over and he loot two and gets like eight coins, we figured he's going to have them in his purse. or well, his We're going to loot the body. Absolutely. So if you kill him, he's going to drop all those coins back on the ground. And we thought that was fun. It's really fun. So I'll jump back over to my weeks. And the second thing I found on, I'm on a Facebook group of Ontario secondhand board games for sale. And I found an innovation expansion. So innovation is by Carl Chediak. And this expansion is also by Chris. Oh man, I don't even know how to say it. Sizzlick. That's got to be pretty good. Sizzlick? Yeah, published by Asmatic Games as well. So this expansion, I played it once with Hannah, and I, you know every once in a while, you obviously want to play board games, but then you're just not that into it. And I think I was just mm -hmm. not that into it. So the expansion adds like 10 more cards to each age. Oh, that's a lot. And... If you have one of the expansion cards, because they're blue on the back instead of the regular dull brown sepia tone, so you can tell really easily that you have one in your hand. If you already have one, when you're drawing, you can only draw the original base game cards. But if you don't, then your first one, you have to draw one of the expansion cards. And there's a couple extra things, but what that did, it felt like, was slow the game down so that you're not running out of the era cards. So none of our piles were gone at the end of the game. And I, we may have played one rule sort of wrong right at the beginning, which gave Hannah a big advantage. But I think 
I, I don't know. We're, we'll play it again for sure. I like it the game. It sounds like you're just trying to comfort yourself that you lost to Hannah again. You know what? I have to do that so often that it just becomes I've second nature. It. You're it's witnessing it right now. And we're, we're definitely maybe uh, going to have to get her on on the podcast. We keep saying that and she keeps turning me down. So we'll see. Don't we'll see go breaking do. my heart. <laughs> All right. So I guess we'll move on to our sometimes segment called news. Oh, hey. I don't know who put this news, in here? Was news, that you, Meech? I did. Yeah. So there's a very fun thing happening, and that is Betrayal at House on the Hill, third edition. Okay. So people who know board games maybe are familiar with the fact that um, companies will often release new editions of a popular game. Um, so usually that means there's a rework of the art and often slight tweaking of the rules. So for example, Sheriff of Nottingham just released a new edition and really the only change is the artwork is worse than the original. Sorry to nice. eliminate it, but it's not. As <laughs> um, but the rules are essentially the same as far as I am aware. Um, and there's other things like Catan has had many editions and they tweak the components so that they're easier to use and might add slight rule changes that don't make a huge difference. As far as I'm aware, the rules are the same. The art is updated, but it's 50 brand new scenarios. Nice. Which is great. Wow. Um, I have to look closer into it because... What I'm unsure of is if it's just new scenarios, why not just release it as a booklet that you can use with the second edition? Right. Um, but but what it does is if third edition was just a remake and it was all the same scenarios, not worth my time. But I've played Betrayal so much and have so much fun with it. I'm willing to buy it again if all the scenarios are different because that's amazing. Do you think maybe the floor tiles are different? So each room tile, they may have maybe new rooms? It's possible. And and um, since Betrayal 2nd Edition came out, came out, we've had Betrayal Legacy, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, and Betrayal at the Haunted Mansion, which is the Scooby-Doo-themed one. Um, <laughs> and all of them have slightly different haunt rules. So I'm curious to see if they've integrated some of the rules there that are better than the original. You think they'll be more balanced or about no. the same? I don't. Just same craziness. The people get mad at it for that, but as we've said before, it's a story game. It's not meant to be balanced. Right. It's like a movie. You don't yeah. watch a movie to watch both the maniac killer and the teenagers come to a draw at the end. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited about it. We'll see what it what it does, but yeah, have you played all good. the official scenarios? Oh, I could not answer that, and I highly doubt it because it's random each time. Like there's, yeah. there are house rules people have used to make sure you play them all, but I've never used that, and I have repeated a bunch of the scenarios. I I own it as well, and I I have not even come close to playing them all. So I I also have the Widow's Walk expansion, which adds fifty. So I have a hundred scenarios, and I have Boulder's Gate, which is another fifty scenarios. But like my copy of of House on the Hill is rough from the amount of <laughs> yeah, times I've played it. It's yeah. amazing. I think I probably played twenty out of the fifty. 
Yeah, I have no idea. If only I had board game stats back then. Yeah, I know, right? All right, well, let's move it on to the topic of the week, which is Game Smash. So this is going to be a new thing for us. We are going to take two games that we individually know well enough that we want to smash them together and just discuss about what will be integrated into one new game, some sort of Frankenstein's monster of a game. So maybe we'll kick it off with Adam, who has put the most thought into it. Uh Uh-oh. You know what's really funny about Adam going first? What? Frankenstein's monster's name is Adam. Who? Hashtag literature reference. His monster's not named Meej? No, unfortunately. I did read that book, but I did not know that. I don't know if it's said in the book, but I know it's true. Mary Shelley has said it, had said it when she was alive. Who she told me once. Oh, wow. All right, Monster, what do you have for us? Um, So the two that I picked is probably one that a lot of people know and another one that very few people know. And those two are Munchkin and a game called Tortuga1667. Um, Munchkin, as you probably know, is a card game where you um, flip through a deck and you take hilarious items, armor items and weapons, and you equip your character with these so that when your um, opponent is gonna drop gonna drop a monster on your face you try to beat him with your stats basically uh tortuga 1667 is a game where uh it's a hidden identity identity um loot stealing pirate themed game where people can vote to um uh, steal the island cast people off the island to do all kinds of pirate-themed things on a little map. Ooh. Like sing songs? No. Mm. That would... No. Maybe that's like how pirate-themed is it. <laughs> True. Uh, so I thought what might be fun with putting these two together is... Um, so there's a, there's treasure that you steal and are trying to get onto your individual ships... Um, those um, would effectively be all the items that you can get from Munchkin so maybe every turn that you're on a ship you get to uh, not just move it to where or you're on, you, every time you're on where the yeah on your ship with the treasure you get to draw a, a new card and then slowly you are equipping yourself with the treasure that other people don't want you to get and then the monsters that you can play um would be like pirates coming on a boat or some monster coming out of the deep waters to attack your ship. Um, And it would let people try to, um, with the fun hidden identities still in place, um, drop monsters on people uh, and keep treasure away from them so they're not prepared. And uh, I think the most ridiculous part of this idea 
is all the different Munchkin expansions being thrown at this. <laughs> right. Like, like space. This this legit classic um, pirate theme, and then you have some random Adventure Time giant candy monster <laughs> coming out from the sea like the Kraken and throwing peppermints at the boat. Yeah. Like, it would be very, very, like, not disconcerting, but just... It, it would be like the Ghostbusters, where it's the the Mufflin Man is the big bad guy, right? Right. Where you have a big white coming out of the coming out of the buildings. Yeah. Almost. I have it would. Seen, oh, go ahead. It almost feels like it would be like a low budget movie. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> where they're trying something, some really weird concept. I'm not against it. I think it would be hilarious, but. They're also so both have, smaller games, and this wouldn't be even particularly hard to do. Like, you could right. really just do this. Like, you wouldn't have to make, like, a new board or something. I have not played this Tortuga game. Is it, you, you keep calling it, like, hidden roles? Is it, like, a trader and a bunch of people? Or is it, like, you actually have, like, different roles, kind of asymmetric win conditions based on that? Uh, no, so you all, well, you mostly have the same win conditions. Uh, so depending on whether you're playing with an odd number of people or an even number of people, um, you are either, I think, English or French, and then the odd person is a Dutch player. So it's like simulating 1667, um, like vassal or, uh, or, you know, sea battles and trading and stuff. Oh, I see. Like so colonizing you, the new world and... Sort of, yeah. So privateers, you deal out that those no, cards pirates. to everyone, and you're trying to figure out who's on your team based <laughs> oh, on. Okay. But the neat thing is, like, if if the captain wants to try to um, abandon someone on Tortuga, you have to. Everyone on your ship will vote, and then an extra vote card from the vote deck also gets thrown in. So you're not totally sure who's all voting for what. Right. So then the vote cards will have a cannon, um, a torch and water. So if enough fires and cannons are in the torch in the in the in the results, then the vote goes through. And if there's waters, then it gets um, it doesn't go through. So okay. it's kind of playing the odds with trying to keep your identity hidden at certain times. Right. Um, and all of that just plays into perfectly with trying to steal munchkin items and drop. I don't know, feet monsters and stuff on people <laughs> while you're sailing oceans or sailing across the ocean. So, yeah, that could totally work. That's what I had. Nice. Noise. I'll I'll jump in here. So last time we spoke, I had hinted at my design that I was currently working on. And it actually just so happens that it works perfectly with our theme this week. So I'll explain a bit about it and I'll post some pictures to the Facebook page so that you can see kind of my progress. So what I, the two games that I think, actually there are kind of three that kind of mash together, but I think the two that most work are Beyond the Sun and Innovation with a, a sprinkling of Race for the Galaxy in there a little bit. So I'm 
I'm thinking taking the Beyond the Sun sideboard. So it's your ships are actually out in space and moving from place to place. And then going to the different planets, which uh, depending on where you are along in space, because everybody will start at their the home world or Earth or the bottom of the board. And as you move up, you can go to different places, but along the right and the left are different planets. So the shortest uh, place you can get to would be two, two jumps away to the first level of planet, and then four jumps to the second level, five jumps to the third, something like that, all the way up to six. But there are multiple spaces. It's It's a little hard to explain, but there's multiple spaces, so you can take different routes to get to different planets and attack people along the way. Once you colonize a planet, you'll be able to just like race for the galaxy, either use the cards that you have as the resource to be able to buy an upgrade and put on your ship so that your ships are permanently upgraded in a certain way. And one of the ways that innovation would be jammed in there is each planet will have a tech on it from a long-forgotten civilization that you can add to your ships to really power them up. And I I wanted innovation to be the inspiration for that because it seems in innovation that every time you get a card, you're like, what? I can't believe you can do that in this game. That's crazy. And I really want people to say that about the powers in this game as well. And I think that would be super neat. One request. Yep. When you've established a colony on a planet, can there be trains between the planets? Because trains are great. Not between the planets, but you can build whatever you want on the planet. Oh man, all of them are going to have train lines. (laughs) Kind of like your D&D campaign, isn't it? Hey, so many trains in my D&D campaign. There were so many trains. (laughs) Oh, and there's more. Speaking of which, it is in development. It's just a long takes a long time <laughs> so yeah i i love the idea of uh i guess it doesn't have to necessarily be beyond the sun but like um twilight imperium fourth edition or all the editions i guess have you going space to pace space to space to to get different places and that's the idea that i like but i also love the idea of Maybe fighting people, maybe not, because if you enter the same space as someone else, if one of them wants to fight, then you're fighting. But if but if you both decide, nope, we won't fight, then you can just go on your merry way. I think that would be funny. So if this whole game takes place in space, do you really want to call them spaces? Because then you're going space to space in space in someone else's space. Right. It's just... very heavily space themed. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> Got some space for your space. Right. Yo, dog, I heard you like space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I'm working on. I'll throw some pictures on the the Facebook page. The space space page. The space space page? Yeah. And I so- actually got I've got about sixty different cards and I printed them all out. And each of them had a circle in the middle, and I got my daughters to help color in the circles of different colors, so all the planets are very different. So it's it was adorable. I think you should release it as that artwork. Well, we'll see. 
Maybe I'll do a Kickstarter. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, it's way too much effort. Yeah, agreed. So is this list of games things that came to you today thinking about this little idea, Game Smash, or did you intentionally pick these three games as inspiration for yours? So what happened was I got Beyond the Sun and was on online people were touting it as innovation but in space because there's a tech tree that you're building as you go and I was super excited because I thought that it was going to be very much like the game that I'm making now and while Beyond the Sun is fun and I enjoy it and I recommend you play it with me it isn't that each tech seems to be very limited to one of four different areas of uh, play. So whether that's making your ships better or whether that's making it cheaper to do colonizing or something like that, but nothing really jumps out as being crazy. Each level of the tech tree is kind of like a little bit better than the level you had before. That's the way I felt about it. It, so then, to put it in perspective, too, it is an excellent game. You just had a bad, or not a bad, but you were expecting something else, and that always makes something seem a little worse when it's not what you were expecting, I think. Sure, and I don't want to poo-poo on the design or anything. I think it's a great game. It's just I really wanted a specific game, and it wasn't that. So I think it would be very fun to make a game or have a game that is that, I haven't found one yet, so I'm going to design it. I also love the idea of multi-use cards. So like a Glory to Rome or an innovation where your cards can be different things. I think Glory to Rome is more, more about that. Where your card can be a building or it can be a patron that you use to make other things. Or it can be points or it can be the money that you're using, that kind of thing. So my planet cards are planets that you colonize. And then they go in your hand and they can be money that you spend like Race for the Galaxy to actually colonize or use the tech. But there's a tech power on it that you can upgrade your cards with or you can use the numbers around the outside to up their attack, their defense, or their speed. So there's lots of different uses for the cards, which I'm excited about as well. Meej, what do you have for us? Well, don't you know? Okay, so when I was thinking about this, everything I thought of was already a game, which, you know. And then I just looked over to my shelf and saw two games, and we're going to mash them. Um, so <laughs> Perfect. Catan, Settlers of Catan, is like, I'm going to explain what it is, but if you haven't played it, it's almost a prerequisite to listening to this podcast, but... I think you mean basically Catan. Catan. Right? No, I mean Catan. Um, I mean settlers. Nope, you guys are both wrong, and now I have <laughs> no memory of where I was going. <laughs> Whoops! Whoopsie days. You were okay, going to explain so what each game of Catan was. has a different board because it has modular tiles. So the tiles are, I think, septagons. Yeah, They're hexagons. So. Hexagons. I are think. they? Yep. Okay. Anywho, I'm not sure. They're they're shapes. 
that all that all line up together and each tile is a different terrain so you have fields that produce sheep you have grain you have ore you have brick you have wood and then you have the desert which is where the robber lives because roberts live in deserts um so in in this game you are building settlements and cities on the borders of these terrain tiles which all have randomly assigned numbers attached to them on your turn you roll the dice if the dice match a number that is next to your settlement you get that resource you trade resources with your friends you build more you get victory points you win or you lose that's the game in a nutshell um now imagine imagine you take dice forge a game where the whole point is that each of you has two six-sided dice that are modular and you can upgrade as you go so take Catan, where you're just rolling two normal dice and add these modular dice so you can upgrade your rolls so whether that be every time you roll you get an extra wood or every or whatever when you roll you get i don't know to boot the robber somewhere just adding all these little tweaks to it just to make it more interesting and allow it to be a little more asymmetric because Catan is very symmetric. It's very much um, oftentimes you can pretty much tell who's going to win based on. Yeah, I know I said it was asymmetric last time and I changed my mind based on what numbers they're next to. Right. Right. I've actually never played Dice Forge, so I can't speak to that part. Lame. Are you talking about, so let's say, does everybody have their own paradise or there's still the one yes. paradise that you pass around? No, so you, would, you would each, yeah, you would each have your own and you'd be upgrading your own dice. Would you like, would you be upgrading it so that you could pop the one off and add a one plus a wood type yeah, thing? Exactly. Or you just pop the exactly. one off and you put a wood on. And so if that rolls a wood, then you got what your one dice says, your one through six and then a wood. I don't know. I'm not the designer. I'm just the idea man. But both of it's, those sound great. We're designing it together right here. Live. But for your ear holes. I just think it would be cool because it just it would allow more variability. Um yeah. And I think it would be fun. And who doesn't want more dice? Does sound like a lot of fun. Could you put like uh pop your six off and put an eight on there? So you're more likely Ooh, that's to a get. fun idea. But then you have to pop because then you could end up with 14. But Basically, what it would do it, in the core mechanic of it, what it would do is it would take away the fact that once you're stuck beside bad numbers on the board, so once, say, your settlement is beside a 12, there's very little you can do about that in cities and nights. There's ways to get around it, but in normal Catan, there is no way to mitigate a really bad number that you're stuck on. Um, and that can lose the game for you. If you, if the only place you could viably put your settlement was beside a 12 of wood and you have no other Mm -hmm. wood you're, you lose. I'm sorry. You just, you gotta be really good to not lose in that scenario. Well, that's like your first settlement, right? Yeah, it's very hard then. Uh, this could be very easily done. Yeah, you want to it quickly could. explain Dice Forge a little bit more? Okay, so yeah, the, the essential thing of Dice Forge is you each have two dice, um, like two normal D6s, but the sides pop off like the little flat Lego tiles. 
and through the game you're buying better tiles to snap onto your dice. So as you roll, you're getting more money to oh, buy cool. new sides to your dice to get more victory points. It's very fun. I really enjoy that game. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that wouldn't be very difficult to do at all. And if you just take all the the dice and the symbols from Dice Forge and you just write down a legend of what they mean, you could very you easily... Could even- I'm pretty sure you could, it's pretty much compatible with Lego, so you could easily make sides. Oh, man. I haven't played Catan in a long time, but isn't it dice that has the symbols of the uh, resources on it, or am I misremembering? No, you're misremembering. You're thinking, you might be thinking, you might be thinking of Duel, the the dice Catan game. What but base Catan, it's just numbers. It's just numbers? Oh, uh, okay. Because you have a gotcha. number on each terrain tile that's randomly determined. From 2 okay. to 12. Yeah. You could also do where you have dice like with the symbols of the resources and you can modify the dice. I guess that's the same thing though, isn't it? To like that's try to make your odds better. Pretty much the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not so much about making your odds better. It's making it less about it's it's less about where your settlements are placed and more about how good you are at trading and using the resources to your advantage, I would say, is what it's taking advantage of your friends. Yeah, less. Yeah, basically <laughs> less area control and more diplomacy slash being miserly with your resources. Can you trade dice with people in Catan Forge? Like straight up. Daryl, I want to give you this dice for one of you, this die for one of yours. That First of all, that Catan Forge sounds like a really good game, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe blacksmiths of Catan. Ooh. Copyright. <laughs> just also, sorry, just side note, because Daryl actually mentioned this last night when we were playing Catan and I just remembered he proposed adding <gasps> spirit island powers to Catan. So in spirit island, your each player has a a player power that affects the island. So like I really the want one, to play this one. The one that he he was talking about was have the one spirit that can push the settlers around the map who can like he can like push them from one territory to the next. So like be able to like push your settlements to the other side of a terrain tile to get it into a better spot. Be very fun. Right, yeah. Or mess with someone else's settlement by like making the sea swell and knock their city over. Because in Catan, you can you can only build a settlement or a city two spaces away from somebody else, there, right? So there has to be two a, segments between them. Yeah. Right. So if you use the Spirit Island guy that could push them, you could break those rules after you've built. That would be fun. Yeah, exactly. That'd be really fun. That would be cool. You could even share a space with somebody if you pushed it far enough. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be hilarious. And then you have to fight them off using your munchkin armor. Oh. Oh, Now we're smashing your your game? Munchkin 67? What if we upgrade the cities and knights? We have a barbarian pirate ship from Tartuga. Yeah. The ship comes sailing into Catan and crash lands, carrying all the monsters from my smash. 
And trains. In space. And then Megalab Metro comes down from a comet and explodes onto the world. So that's all we have for this week. (laughs) (laughs) Do we have any emails? Cutting me off was a good idea. (laughs) So I don't I don't think so. I didn't check. What's that? If we have any emails. Nope, we have no emails this week. No emails, but last last episode was so rife. Rife with controversy. Controversy. I expected to get at least 10 emails about people that were so upset that chess was not... I really tried, but... (laughs) And you were so wrong. Seems like we're getting a lot of five-star ratings in Spotify. So that is super exciting. I did get a lot of personal emails saying how right I was, but, you know, I didn't want to share those. So that's really funny because I was getting a lot of personal messages saying that you were so wrong. (laughs) I got multiple people telling me chess is not asymmetric. (laughs) I had a bunch of people also write me saying they were going to tell you that so that you'd feel better, but they didn't want me to tell you that. You know what? I feel really good. So it worked. So if you can let them know <laughs> that it really worked. Feeling really good about myself right so, now. So so what's this special guest you're talking about? Um, so since we're going to be wrapping up here, I guess. Um, when this episode comes out on Thursday, that evening, I'm going to be doing our first special episode. I don't think you guys are chiming in, but you're welcome to. But I don't think you are. Um, I refuse. With... Uh, a friend of mine named Nick, who is like a crazy chess person, um, he likes to play blindfolded games. And you should ask him if it's asymmetric. I will ask him what he thinks about that controversy. And he might be wrong. <laughs> um, so we're Wait, gonna just kind of do. He plays blindfolded. You kind of glazed over that, but. Among other things, he plays blindfolded against people, which means yeah, you memorize. You have to know and visualize the game in your head. So you'll be told he played, you know, knight f6 or something. And then you visualize that and then you take your turn and you remember the whole board state. Impossible. And he beats people like this. Um, Does so he have to move his own pieces? Because that would be I hilarious. That would be the best that part. Done for him. <laughs> No, there's no. I way was that thinking with that. If I tried this, all of them would be all over the place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now that's asymmetric. <laughs> so we're going to be talking some chess. Um, awesome! I'm excited to listen to that one. Um, one other thing is we've been thinking of maybe seeing if there's any interest in trying to do a bit of a print and play with uh, the listeners and trying to do um, an asymmetric, well, not asymmetric. What's the word where you're doing it? Asynchronous. Uh, print and play with Very a bunch of us. Mm-hmm. Is uh, that why you in- thought chess was asymmetric? Because you played <laughs> asynchronously on your phone? <laughs> no. I figured it out. I definitely think this would be a lot of fun. And there's a couple games that you could totally do this with. Yeah, I had bought Voyages with the intent of doing this, but the designers don't want me to do that. So we are going to... I have a bunch of other suggestions. I'm still working through the list, but... Uh, if you're interested in doing something like that, let us know and we'll probably talk about it in the future. 
I'm in. I want to do it. Perfect. So I just checked on Spotify. We have 14 ratings with a 4.9 star. Oh, who didn't do five? It's all right. You don't have to. Probably one person did two star because we requested it one episode. I assume. That's true. We did. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, that, that was not there hours ago. I tell you. Perfect. You're well, right. I just checked it and I fixed it for you. Right on. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to episode 12 of the Turn Turtles Board Gaming Podcast. Feel burdened to contact us through our email at theturnturtles at gmail.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at turnturtlesbg. And I'm going to be posting on Facebook, so make sure you're, you're around when we launch this episode. Tune in every other Thursday for a new episode of the Space Turtles Board Gaming Podcast. See ya. Bye. 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 There, I'll be Adam. Bye, everyone. Chess is the best. Yeah, we didn't didn't hear you say bye. bye. (laughs) Don't worry, I got you covered. The Turn Turtles were here. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in.